Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Dave, we're back again, and uh, it's episode 74 now, I think. Yes, I, I believe that is correct. And we're rolling up on another milestone. Yep. 75 is coming up real soon, like at the end of the month. Yes. <laughs> well, we've got a guest in our third chair, Evan McCallum, Mr. Panzermeister 36. How are things in Ottawa tonight? They are very well. Hope things are good for you guys, too. Well, they are, so let's just... Uh, Let's just get into it, uh, Evan. What's up in your model sphere tonight? It's been a good couple of weeks. Uh, just as we were recording this today, there was the Scale Auto Show, which is a yearly event hosted by the Hobby Center, which is one of the hobby stores here in Ottawa. This happens once every year, but it was delayed a few years because of COVID. So this is the first time it's been back. And it was a great show. I had a, a something else to do in the afternoon, so I was only there for a little bit, but it was great to go to a model show as always and meet up with some friends and look at some of the cool things on display there. Well, was, uh, Ian and Chris there? Yes. And, uh, they both placed in some of the categories for aircraft and military vehicles. Well, good for them. We'll have to talk to them a little later about that. We also had the uh, five year anniversary of our local Gundam group. Uh, I don't really talk about my Gundam interests because I don't ever feature on my YouTube channel, but I do build Gundams. We have a local Gundam group here and, yeah, we had the five-year anniversary of that uh, last weekend, so another fun little event there, and that's always fun. Well, do you, do you build much? Gundams? Uh, I only ever really seem to build them at the twice-a-month Gundam build meets, but it's more of like a social thing. I don't, When I'm at home, I build tanks and stuff, but uh, <laughs> the, the Gundams are more of a relaxing, stress-free kind of build for me. I don't really do detailing or painting on them. I just put them together, and it's... Like I said, more of a, so- a social thing where I hang out with people and chat and everything. Ah, okay. Cool. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> That's, well, that sounds like plenty. You've had some yeah. stuff going on. Yeah, past, past weeks are good. Well, Dave, what's up with you, man? What's up in your model sphere? Well, um, I, as you well know, I'm coming down off of a high from the uh, MMCL Invitational Contest. And then I am also looking forward to the Cincinnati model show in about three weeks. And as I've said previously, nothing gets the modeling juices flowing like, uh, like going to contests, interacting with uh, other modelers, getting to see what others have produced, being inspired by it. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm riding the, I'm riding the modeling high, man. I'm telling you, I just well, wish I just wish I had more time to model. Well, we mentioned it in the twelve minute model sphere, but it's like I don't know. We're, we're pretty pretty much back to normal as far as far as show scheduling goes. I mean, yes. Just on Facebook this this weekend, there was uh, you know Grant Mayberry from the Posse was out at Orange County, California at that show, and there was a couple in Europe, I think, and yeah. then one up one up north here somewhere. Right. Uh, right. I think that was Nordic Con. It might no. Yeah, might have been Nordic Con, but know. you know, whatever it was, um, I'm sure folks are out having a good time. Evan, you had a good time. It's just 
good for all that to be be going on again. It's it's uh, it's fun, and I look forward to ours too, Dave. Coming up yes. in Cincinnati. Yep, Cincinnati will be a great time. So how how how's your model sphere, Mike? Uh, it's good. Um, the big thing I got going on right now is trying to decide if I can actually afford to buy a Form Labs Form Three three D printer. Is this because they they've the ones that work are becoming more occupied because you're 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 in the ideal situation for a uh, let's call it cutting edge modeler. Uh, given your work, you have access to 3D printers, to uh, foam cutters, to to lots of stuff that you know uh, all of us normal normal mortals would love to <laughs> have access to, but don't have the money or the space. Well, Is I don't it, know if I've got the money. It's it's more to do with the fact that uh, I know what the retail price tag is on that thing. And when, when I find one down near where my brother lives um, and it's two-thirds the price, it's still really, really expensive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's such a great printer and, and the, the software that the interface, the user interface is really good. And I don't know, man, I, I got, I got a lot of the crap going on. I probably won't pull the trigger, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's sure, uh, sure been a challenge to, uh, to beat back the urge to just freaking pop on that thing and buy it. Okay. So for all the listeners out there, if you want to email Mike to encourage him to buy this printer, that's plastic model mojo at gmail.com. So send those emails in. <laughs> That's also the PayPal address, so if you want to send me money to buy it with, yeah. <laughs> feel free. <laughs> Donations accepted. <laughs> Crowdsourcing a printer, for, 3D printer for Mike. Yeah, that's probably a bad play there. Yeah, Prob- <laughs> probably not the best. Well, that's what's been up, man. I've been trying to beat beat that back like a bad rash, man. <laughs> You'll get there. So, uh, Evan, uh, you know, traditionally you have to have a modeling fluid for, for recording the episode. So what is your modeling fluid? I have got crazy uncle, hard root beer. <laughs> hard says. root beer. Yes. Craft soda for grownups, which, which I think they have to put on there for legal reasons, but this <laughs> is supposed to be root beer. 5% vodka, 5% ABV <laughs> vodka. Gotcha. Now, I'm not exactly the biggest fan of root beer to begin with. I only really like A&W root beer. But, I don't know, this caught my eye. The The design on the bot, on the, the can is pretty interesting. So, we'll give it a shot. Maybe it'll be All garbage. Right. Maybe it'll be good. All we'll right. see how well, that open, plays out. Looking forward to the wrap-up on that one. Yeah, open it up <laughs> and, and, and take a taste. There we go. Was that you or Evan? That's Evan. <laughs> tastes like root beer. It tastes, it tastes, like, it tastes like root beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, we'll look forward as you sip along with us as we go through the episode. And when we get to the end, I'm looking forward to hearing what it's like. So, Mike, uh, I assume you have a modeling fluid. That'd be a good assumption. I'm I'm on the old Forester 1920 again, an old oh. favorite. So nothing new. We're, we've we've about burned through all the uh, the uh, libations received as gifts at the national convention, and uh, I actually had to go out and buy a bottle now. Since I I did the same thing this week <laughs> for the for the first time in two months, so three we'll, months. We'll talk about it at the end. What do you got going on? You you were what? talking like you had something new. Well, I do. 
It's in a can. Yes, it is. It is Sierra Nevada Sunny Little Thing, a citrus wheat ale that's about 5% ABV. So first time I've ever had it. You know me. I like wheat ales and citrus wheat ales in my wheelhouse. So hopefully by the end of the episode, I can report that uh, uh, it's an enjoyable brew, but we'll see. You know what they should put on the can? What? They should license the uh, the abstract caricature of Sonny Bono from the Sonny and Cher set. There you go. Again, we'll explain to Evan later who Sonny and Cher are. <laughs> I just I just want to point out that as a Canadian, when I heard weed ale, I was thinking of something completely different. <laughs> wheat. Wheat ale. Oh. Wheat. <laughs> I heard yeah, weed there, ale. There's probably weed ale as well. but <laughs> Oh, there is. I'm, I know I have discussed that with Mr. Bates. Yes, there is weed ale. Which, uh, you know, who knows? Next time I go out to visit him, uh, you know, I might actually try something like that. What do you mean next time? Well, I I have not visited Mr. Bates since he made the move to... to, So it's not the next time, it's the first time. Okay, well, first time, whatever. (laughs) I got to take up for the man because he'd be telling you the same thing. Yes, yes. (laughs) Well, moving on, the mailbag's looking pretty good. Good. So we probably ought to get into that. So Evan, respect your commentary as well. You're in the third chair. You gotta, you gotta play the game, man. All right. Ah, uh, well, the first one's a show announcement, so it's easy. Good thing these shows keep rolling in. This is from Chris Doppler, who is the he's the vice president of IPMS Dunlin Region Five. Yeah, that's up uh, northern Indiana. Yes, right close to Chicago. I think. All right. Well, they have a show coming up on October fifteenth. And it is their first show in 15 years. Oh, wow. So they're pretty much starting over. I wish them luck. I mean, it's great that they're, that, that they're reviving their show. Uh, the more, so, the merrier. So uh, let, me, let me go into this a little more. Um, the 2022 Model Contest and Swap Meet, October 15th, 2022. So coming up in a couple weeks, a little less than a couple weeks. Right. Uh, at the Hobart Moose Lodge in Hobart, Indiana. Now, such a venue has an advantage. <laughs> yes, most most moose lodges do. <laughs> Food cooked to order and adult beverages will be available. How about that? That's that's a good reason to attend. And given how given how close Metro Chicago is, uh, uh, I would hope that a lot of the Metro Chicago Region Five guys will end up over there. Evan, is there beer at Canadian shows? Oh, I don't. I don't remember. Last time there was a big Canadian show, I don't know if I was legal drinking age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, uh, I just appreciate I, your honesty. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think I just got arthritis in an elbow, or something. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. Next. I mean, there's always guys walking around with cans. I'm not sure if it's so something that's supposed to be there or not. <laughs> that sounds like us, Mike. That's right. <laughs> well, it's Canada. Canada. Jose Gonzalez. Uh, he's originally from Puerto Rico and living in Florida. Now he's he's he wrote in a long time ago. Yes, he did. Maybe in our first year. Uh, loves the podcast. We'll appreciate that. Uh, he's sticking to seventy second scale. Though he's Good totally for him. new to totally new to aircraft modeling. Welcome, G- genuine rookie in the genre. Oh, he's got a good question, Dave. Okay. 
Is there any way or anywhere to find out how much nose weight a specific aircraft needs in order to make it not tail sit? Uh, generally, if you read, well, first of all, a lot of manufacturers uh, will actually include that information in the instructions. They'll, they'll say, you know, X number of grams of weight. I know Airfix does that, but sometimes you just have to go online and see if somebody's done a build, and if so, how much weight they've put in. Um, I highly recommend a uh, deluxe materials product called Liquid Gravity, and all Liquid Gravity is is very, very, very tiny lead shot that you can pour into a cavity forward of the center of gravity of the model, anywhere you can uh, fit it in. And then you pour it in and then you uh, use like two-part epoxy. Uh, by the way, don't use super glue because super glue actually reacts with lead and you'll get some interesting uh, outgrowths of it. But I use uh, six-minute epo- two-part epoxy to hold it in. Uh, and sometimes you just got to experiment, get it. But a lot of manufacturers actually will tell you that in the instructions. And if not, go online, look for a, for, for a build review or something and hope that the uh, builder tells you how much weight they used. All right. Well, you know, a lot of older kits aren't going to give you that information probably. And I wonder how close they cut it. <laughs> <laughs> I have in the past built a a tricycle landing gear aircraft where I have cut it so close that I can push the nose down and it sits on its gear on all three, but the slightest bump will cause the aircraft to go back and sit on its tail. I have cut it very, very close, which you should not do. Always err on the side of caution add more weight than you think you're going to need. Evan, we don't have this problem very often, do we? No. Speaking of which, uh, do either of you drill the hole in the bottom of your tank and glue the nut in? I did that. Okay. I I, I did that for one vehicle, which is the one I brought to Nats, because then I bolted it into a little case using that nut. Gotcha. Neither one of you have one of those octopus jigs, do you? No. No. Where where they do that as part of, I know Martin Kovac does that now because he uses that jig. Wow, that took 16 minutes. What? Oh, to mention Martin's name? (laughs) Okay. Listen, you got to refer to the guy. The guy has A, talent to spare, and B, it's a lot of common frame of reference. Because if I said just octopus jig, nobody would know what I'm talking about. But when I reference Martin, yeah, everybody's seen the video and they understand that jig and the fact that he glues a little nut in the bottom of the of the vehicle to. Well, I didn't use a nut, but on the PT-76 I finished up a couple, couple years ago at this point, yeah. right? Uh, I did drill a hole through it and used a bolt and nut system to clamp it to a block of wood to put in a vise to manipulate it and do whatever with. So. Okay. Well, basically your own homebrew version yeah, I, I don't know if I'm a fan of that or not. I, I haven't decided yet. Okay. All right. Moving on. 
Well, th- this is an exchange. I'm, I'm get, not going to get into all these emails, but it's, it's uh, Scott McPhee, which is uh, up in Saskatchewan, upper Saskatchewan even, and Robert Perlman, who was one. Scott was trying to start the model club at his school he teaches at. Right. Yep. And as it turns out, Robert Perlman is actually in Vancouver. So he didn't have the uh, international shipping that folks down here may be faced with and it it ain't cheap. <laughs> it's not cheap going coast to coast in the U S anymore, really. Yeah. True enough. Um, but anyway, th- this thing, I've told them to keep me in the loop. So I copied them both when I responded to, to Scott last time. And, um, I also see that wings and wheels has gotten in on this and they've had a donation box that folks have been sending stuff. I've been following this on, on Facebook. Evan, do you know anything about that? That's, more i know i know you're up there but maybe you're not up there enough wings and wheels where where are they located that's a that's a wheels and wings or oh, wheels and wings sorry wings toronto. and wheels is a, is a book publisher you're right <laughs> wheels and wings is in toronto uh, okay whenever i go to toronto i definitely stop by there they're a great hobby shop but i'm not aware of their yes. donation box i can actually claim that i have been to wheels and wings by riding the uh, uh toronto subway system yep up there when i was vacationing with my parents many 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 years ago i've actually been to that hobby shop it's a great place yes it is well back to mr mcphee and uh his uh his modeling club I, i we told we told listeners last time that we hope to flip this on him from not having enough to having too much so Scott, if you if you're listening, I know you are. Let us know how that's shaken out, and uh, if there's anything that you're not getting enough of versus too much of something else, go ahead and go ahead and let us know. We'll get it out there. And uh, for example, one thing I've noticed from from the Wheels and Wings uh, Facebook post is you're getting a lot of paint from a lot from a lot of different manufacturers and a lot of different formulations. It's probably not the ideal way to go about it. <laughs> Although so, it uh, does sound like my hobby room. Well, it does. So maybe maybe you're raising up these uh, kids that know what it's really like to be a modeler. Yeah, uh, to be faced with all this. But uh, let us know, and we'll, we'll get we'll get the word out, and and we can just try to steer steer things in, into what you need. I see I've seen a lot of kits and a lot of supplies go by. I, I don't know the status of a lot. Uh, if it's all piled together, I'm sure it's a it's a pretty big pile at this point. So uh, thank you to everybody out there who's donated this to the Wheels and Wings donation box and anybody else who has sounds like a success to me dave yes uh listen anything we can do to start new model clubs to get younger people involved in modeling that includes evan uh (laughs) i'm i'm all for it uh listen uh, you know this is a a community that we accidentally assembled and and they are uniformly a really good group of people up next Dan Knopfel, and uh, he went to the uh, the show in Salt Lake City where the posse was. Mm-hmm. Now, that's Hank's dad. Yes. That's right. Yep. Young guy. Doesn't say much. Yes. Young, <laughs> quiet young man. That's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll help him out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hank got third for his T6 Texan. All right. Knock it out, Hank. Now. This is this happened on the Facebook page as well. Uh, the back of the medals at this show said so many models, so little time. Yes, it did. So there are some jokes about 
Dave suing people because he's an attorney <laughs> and blah blah. Well, we we don't own this byline. It was it was it's been in our club for a long time. Yes, and uh, so more power to him. Yes, I mean it's, absolutely. It, it's the one modeling altruism, right? Yes. I, I'm unless I don't know, Evan. You got you, you're up to date on all your builds and buys, right? You like you're neutral. Yeah, <laughs> your new, your newest kid is the one on your workbench. That's that's not true at all, is it? <laughs> yeah, but but Evan has a lot of years ahead of him. He could clearly actually build his entire stash. Okay, unless I live to about two hundred and fifty, that is not in the cards for me. <laughs> My stash is only about thirty models. I, I keep it. I keep it pretty refined, and I actually sold off a dozen or so at a swap meet this summer. Now, what do you sell off? Speaking of that, what do you sell off when you sell off? Are you selling off doubles of dra- or triples of dragon kits or something that's been <laughs> no. been replaced by something new? I don't sell dragon kits. Um, you buy dragon kits. Yeah. I uh, well, it was just things that I had bought that I had a plan for at the time. And then I now realize I'm no longer interested in building that subject because I don't see a kit and think that's cool. I want to build that. I will see a cool reference photo or something. And then I think I want to build that vehicle and then I'll buy a kit to build it. God, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I was going to say there, there's many Mike again, you, you and Mike are both inspired by photographs. Whereas I tend to be more inspired by reading uh, history, reading reading as opposed to the photograph of the actual object. But um, so you just got rid of some stuff that you thought ah, I'm never going to do this. I've lost the interest. Yeah, I uh, I got rid of a few kits that were such as that. Yeah, things that I no longer had the interest to build, and also I had a a few Tamiya kits and stuff that were they were given me when I was starting out and. I'm not going to build them now because they're kind of, you know, a little more simple than I like to build. So I just sold them for like 10 bucks to people who love Tamiya kits or people who are new to the hobby. And just maybe they'll see some enjoyment at that because if it sits in my stash, it's never going to get done. Right. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got uh, at least one club member who, what he does is goes to shows and he buys old Tamiya kits and he does what he calls, uh, wedge vignettes. I think uh, mm. uh, Chris Morosco used to be one of the first guys to do these, where he takes and slices off just a part of the t- old Tamiya kit and uses it with a couple of figures to make a tiny vignette. There you go. He's talked to Evan out of selling the rest of his models. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> up next, moving on, up next, Martin Pieta. Now, he's from the uh, Portland crowd because apparently he was in our hotel room with Tim Nelson. <laughs> Everyone was in our freaking hotel room in Omaha. Well, this, no, I, I remember. Even I the remember cops. Martin. Even the cops. <laughs> Even the cops. <laughs> this, this, is when, this is when Tim came by. This is a different night. Yes, I remember. So yeah. we, we remember you, Martin. I'm, I'm being facetious. Um, uh, he just want to say he thinks... Uh, Dr. Strangebrush is dead wrong saying he's a mediocre modeler. Dr. Strangebrush is uh, among his many, many attributes slash faults uh, is that he is overly modest in his talent. 
Uh, he is a superb modeler, particularly a superb airbrusher. Uh, if I could ever get to the point where I have one fifth of the talent of, of Dr. Miller with an airbrush, I will die a happy man. Uh, next up, Mark Dormus. No geography, but uh, his work sent him on a uh, rushed, unplanned trip to Thailand for part of a week or so ago. Oh, wow. And while stuck in his hotel in Bangkok, he tapped into the podcast and appreciates the friendly voices and the familiar language and familiar cadence while he was in a strange land. Well, I'm I'm glad he got to listen to us. In, I know we have at least one listener in Laos. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're here for you. If you've got a long plane trip, download a bunch of back episodes and, uh, and catch up if you became a listener later. Now he, he did something while he was there, uh, that I wish that I would have done while I was in Japan, <laughs> which is, well, you're laughing cause he's in Bangkok, Thailand. <laughs> yes. You could right. get yourself into trouble real quick there. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Uh, to me, a premium club was the shop he found nearby using Google Maps. And, uh, you know, that's where you go. And it's like, all thanks to me, 3,000 square feet crammed with everything. Yes. Everything they make. Yes. Everything they make. That'd be that'd be something to see. Yes. Now, you know, a lot of that's RC cars. Yeah. But, uh, and they had, a, they had a race course across the hall too. So pretty interesting. Well, when I was in China... I did find a couple of hobby shops, uh, but they were small hole in the wall places. And I really, really wish I had been able to uh, find a full size hobby shop while I was in China, because the odds of me going back at this point are probably pretty low. And I, I, I know there's a lot of stuff out there that I've never seen before and would would love nothing better than to walk through one of those hobby shops. Well, Evans, your work going to send you overseas, man. <laughs> uh, I, I got to go to Halifax next month. And, uh, <laughs> well, that's and Bruce, almost I, like, that's <laughs> almost like a different country. <laughs> Bruce, uh, Bruce world, who you guys know, he was with us, of course, yeah. at uh, Nats. Right. He, uh, he, so he sent me a Google map screenshot of the dockyard where I will be. And, the closest hobby shop. <laughs> it's a couple blocks down the road, and there's oh, also okay. a nice restaurant there. <laughs> he knows the three places I need to go: Donair, uh, hobby shop, and and work. That's a true friend who will do that kind of recon for you. Was Bruce coming with you to Texas? Oh yeah, he's going to be there for sure. That's what he told me. All right. I think he's legally required to accompany Evan. Yeah, he's he's, he's my chaperone, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> he's your major domo, not chaperone. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> potato potato all right dave well this is the final email all right the final email from the uh the normal uh email stream of things uh michael karnaka from new york city and uh <laughs> he's uh asking a question as he normally does it's kind of all wrapped up in all the hype about to me as new f35 yeah he wants to know what kit have we had in our stash that instantly became irrelevant due to a new kit's release. Oh, God. Well, that's a thinker. For him, it was twofold. He had a Hasegawa P38 Lightning that he was gathering stuff for, and then Hobby Boss came out with a P38 with the fuselage and wings molded as one piece. Yeah. And then 
you know, you know what happened after that? The Chattanooga, <laughs> right? To me, I came yep. out with P38. Yep. And uh, he says all bets were off at that point. <laughs> yeah. Does anything come to mind, Dave? Uh, well, one one does, and I'm trying to remember. Okay, the the only Mach 2 kit, first of all, I want to go back. Michael Karnaka posted in the dojo that he was considering building a Mach 2 kit, and I begged him publicly not to do it because we needed him to continue to send us these interesting questions. <laughs> but the only Mach 2 kit I owned was an HE-114, which is a biplane, float plane, uh, the Germans manufactured, and the Romanians used some. And because I have an interest in Romanian aircraft, I bought it, even though it was a Mach 2 kit, and I knew it would be unbuildable. And then... I'm forgetting the name of the company that later came along and announced and then put out an HE-114 kit. And so in an act of true charity, I sent a package to Jim Bates that included the Mach 2 HE-114 kit, which I don't think Jim has forgiven me for to this day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll give Evan a little more time to think about it. Now I got it. I'll go for it then. All right. So, Maybe two years ago, I was, well, I'm still on my Stug rampage, building all the versions of the Stug that I find interesting, but there was only one good kit to build a late Stug, and that was Dragon 6593, which is very rare and also not very good. And I managed to find two two of that box. They were about 100 Canadian each, which is like 75 US dollars, which is about twice what they're really worth. <laughs> I And then I also had to buy more than a hundred dollars in aftermarket for each kit to make them accurate. So I had all this stuff set up. I had my tra- aftermarket tracks and everything. And then we have now Ryefield model making a late Stug border model, making a late. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's insult to injury when it's not just <laughs> one good manufacturer, but two good manufacturers that release kits that obsolete, stuff in your in your uh stash actually tacom also did a late one too so there's three <laughs> of course i i still built the dragon kits i, I still built the dragon kits because they're they're all right you just have to add all that aftermarket to them and then you know it's it's just cost in the end but you can make them good the other thing is um i've also got a bunch of trumpeter kv1s which are pretty good kits but when Ryfield Model announced their KV-1, I'm pretty sure the Trumpeter 1s are... At least the Trumpeter 1 that is the same version as the Ryfield Model kit is... I think the Ryfield Model one's going to blow it out of the water. I don't think that kit's even out yet, though. It was announced like three years ago. Is that a kit out? Oh, there's one built on YouTube, man. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. It's interesting because that's where I'm at. I, You know, I'm building this KV-85 now, but there's a storied tale behind it. Uh <laughs> When I started building, well, when I decided I want to build a KV-85, uh, I started with a Eastern Express kit. <laughs> and man, I'd put the hole together. I, I would, in, in the bottom of that kit, smooth. So I had some, some books from Russia that had plans with all the, all the underside detail. I'd, I'd put all the bolts and rivets and hatches and crap on the bottom of that thing. And, and, I got to the point where I was working on the turret 
And this is when Trumpeter first started announcing their KV kits. <laughs> now they didn't do a KV 85 yet, but you knew it was coming. Well, I didn't know if it'd come or not. So I just stopped. I was like, screw it. I'm not going to build this. Something, something's better is coming. And then I thought I would start, I would base it off a of Trumpeter KV hull instead of the, the Eastern express one. So I, you know, I'd, I'd fast forward a little bit in, in terms of quality and fidelity of, of scale. Uh, and then by the time I got around to thinking I wanted to revisit that project, Trumpeter and Bronco had both released KV-85s. And there are various issues with both kits, and I chose the Bronco kit to build. And we'll probably get to that in the Benchtop Halftime Report. But uh, yeah, I abandoned that because that, those kits are are really, really rudimentary and rough. And a lot of them have details you only see on like monument tanks. Like the uh, some of the engine decks are bogus. Some of the air intake screening is is stupid yeah. because it's it's based on some monument tank somewhere. And yeah, that was a real real easy decision. So so how many kits of the KV eighty five across various manufacturers do you actually own in thirty fifth scale? Well, yes, in thirty fifth scale, <laughs> three. I, I, I have a unbuilt copy of the Eastern Express kit. Okay. I have the trumpeter kit. Yeah. Which which Stephen Reed from over at the T thirty four interest group and uh modeling group sent me as a gift. And then I've got the Bronco kit that I'm building and I actually have a second Bronco kit unbuilt. So the answer is four. Well four, but two two X on one, so you okay. count it you count it however you want to count it, lawyer. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well well Dave, that is the uh the email side of things. What's been going on on, on Facebook? Uh, fa- between Facebook and the dojo, things have been very, very busy. So in in the interest of time, I've just got a couple selected. Um, first one, Scott, and forgive me, Scott, Scott Stakowiak. 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 Thank you. Message me. He was listening to a previous episode where I mentioned that through that I was purchasing one of the new fine mold 72nd scale F4Cs with the Michigan Air National Guard markings. And uh, he mentioned that when he was 13 in 1985, he bought or received a really nice art print of the Michigan F4Cs in the uh, Michigan Air Guard markings. And, uh, you know, he wanted to know where he could acquire one. He was a little hesitant about purchasing from overseas. And I, of course, directed him to uh, Model Paint Solutions, which is uh, where I got mine. Dr. Miller was uh, quite, quite efficient in getting me that fine molds kit, which, by the way, should be showing up on my doorstep any day, and was able to send him on to uh, uh, Dr. Miller at uh, Model Paint Solutions so that he could get a kit with the decals of the aircraft that he actually had illustrated from back in 1985. So I was kind of happy about that. And then John McAvoy suggested a a topic for us dealing with the carpet monster a how do you what what are the best strategies for locating 
parts that have pinged off into the ether. And not only that, but how to prevent that from happening in the first place. And I think that's a really great suggestion. Uh, I've I would like to, at some point in the future, deal with that uh, as an episode. Now, I'm lucky enough that I don't have a carpet monster. I have a vinyl plank flooring monster, but I (laughs) I still manage to lose parts. I built a little IBG Japanese truck, and I lost a headlight, and I found it like nine months after I completed the kit. (laughs) <laughs> and there is there's literally nothing more frustrating than comp- finding the part that you lost well after you either scratch built or did whatever to finish the kit on the part that you lost. Well, that's how it works. It's the same way yes. that the better kit is only ever released after you just finish the crappy one. Exactly. Or exactly. bought all the aftermarket for it. And, and bought all the aftermarket. <laughs> Anything else, Dave? Nope. Those are the only two. All right. Well, we appreciate all the listener mail. If you want to write into the show, you can do so at uh, plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com or use the Facebook Messenger to uh, contact us through Facebook. This is the point in the podcast where, if you haven't already done so, we ask you to, when you're done listening to this episode, please go to whatever uh, podcast app you are listening on and rate the uh, podcast. We'd ask you to rate it five stars. It helps us improve in visibility and become visible to more people if you do so. Also, please subscribe if you haven't subscribed in your podcasting app. And finally, tell a friend. The best way for us to gain new listeners, and we continue to gain new listeners. Uh, Mike and I watched the statistics, and they have continued to go up and up, and and we're thrilled by that. Uh, one of the way, best ways for us to gain those new listeners is for you, the modeler who's listening, to go to one of your modeling friends. Uh, maybe they aren't quite as technologically sophisticated. We've got a lot of uh, older modelers as a group. We we tend to skew older, and they may not be as tech-savvy, so you may have to show them how to download the episodes and how to listen to them. But we'd appreciate it if you do that. After you've done that, please check out the other podcasts out there in the model sphere. You can do so by going to www.modelpodcasts.com. That's plural, modelpodcast.com. This is a consortium website set up by Stuart Clark of Scale Model Podcasts up there in Canada. And there you can find banner links to all the podcasts that are currently uh, participating in this endeavor with us. There's quite a few there. So find the ones you like. Subscribe to all of them if you want. Uh, I'm sure they'll appreciate it. Subscribe to ours as well. Modelpodcast.com will be the place to do that. Uh, in addition to podcasts, we have a lot of other content creators out there we we like to follow. A lot of blog and YouTube friends. First up, Jeff Groves, Inch High Guys, 72nd Scale Blog. Now, we just talked to Jeff last episode because we saw him at our show. and uh, We'll see him in Cincy. And we'll see him in Cincy again. Louisville, Cincy. He gets around, man. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chris Wallace, model airplane maker. Great blog and YouTube channel. Great aircraft modeler. Check out Chris's work. Stephen Lee, sprue pie with frets. He's got a great blog. Uh, he's he's had a couple of things come up here fairly recently. Yes. Uh, he's on a build binge, looks like. And he's also uh, trying to help us crack that nut that is Three Floyds Brewing. So yep. hopefully uh, he'll have some success there. Jim Bates, of Scale Canadian TV, YouTube. Jim's always got something funny to say in his take on the hobby. And uh, he's about due for something new any day. Yeah, yeah, he should be dropping one any day. I, I Wait a minute, that didn't sound right. Uh, he should be He should be releasing a new episode any day. I just talked to him. Uh, I talk to Jim nearly every day. And he should be releasing a new episode very short. And we can't forget our third chair driver tonight. Evan, tell us what's going on with you. Well, I am Panzermeister 36 from YouTube. I build 135th scale armor mainly, and I I focus a lot on detailing and weathering and historical accuracy on my builds, and that's kind of my jam. So if you're interested, you can go check that channel out. Do you have a, a new video coming soon? There's a lot that are half done. <laughs> I've got a I've got a T34 that might be dropping pretty soon. So, and uh, finally, if this is the point in the podcast where I ask you if you're not a member of your national IPMS chapter, national organization, IPMS USA, IPMS Canada, IPMS Australia, IPMS Norway, wherever you happen to be listening to us, please consider joining the national organization. The national organizations do a lot. Uh, they do a lot to help modeling internationally. The different national organizations communicate with each other. There's a lot of cooperation that goes on. All of the folks who run your different national organizations are all volunteers. They are taking out time from their modeling to help modelers in general and, uh, I'd appreciate it. I'd consider it a personal favor if you would consider joining your national IPMS organization. All right, guys, let's have a word from our sponsor, Model Paint Solutions. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder Steenbeck airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. All right, come and make it in Texas, guys. I'm going. Evan, you in? I'm planning on being there, but as always, <laughs> uh, I'm not that financially stable. I'm, well, I got to save up my money, but we'll see. I want to be there. <laughs> Last time was so much fun. You've got a Canadian government job. You could not be more financially stable. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> Hotels and flights aren't cheap, though. They're That's not. true. I agreed. Well, Dave and... Evan, we've got uh, an announcement. We've got uh, Mojovian Special Agent 003 now. All right. (laughs) And Agent 003 is Mr. Brandon Jacobs from down in the South Texas area. He's going to be our San Marcos man in the field. He's going to be feeding us some information about hotels, restaurants, local haunts, best kept secrets, that kind of stuff. So folks going down there can have stuff to do at night and uh, make sure they eat well. Given given how good the steak was in uh, Omaha, I am looking forward to both steak and Tex-Mex recommendations for San Marcos. That was a really good steak. <laughs> it was. Well, Brandon 
has given us some hotel information because as folks are going to know, the uh, the show hotel sold out really, really quick. But it's not the only place to stay, people. Yep. Brandon tells us that the I can't get a room excuse is going to be a weak one for would-be attendees. Good. Uh, in addition to the show hotel and convention center, there's quite a few others. Now, he says, well, walking to these is probably not the best idea. And this may be just due to the... Uh, the physicality of where they are versus major roads, maybe. Sure. Uh, there are three options that are less than a mile from the convention center, the Homewood Suites, the Comfort Inn, and the Holiday Inn Express, right there real close. And within a few miles, there's a Candlewood Suites, a Comfort Suites, and a Hampton Inn. So plenty of stuff. And he, he offers another strategy. Uh, if you can't stay at the uh, the convention hotel, he, he thinks maybe you pick one that's kind of between uh, the square and San Marcos. And the convention center, because that's where all the nightlife and restaurants and all that stuff are. Gotcha. And he also says, uh, in regards to the heat, it will be hot. Maybe not 110, but it will be summer here in Texas. And uh, we're going to be inside, folks. <laughs> that's right. Well, and <laughs> if we walk places, you just, just shorts, T-shirts, maybe one of those little personal cooling things that you can pick up on Amazon. <laughs> uh, now, I suspect Evan, being Canadian, might actually burst into flame if he steps outside in San Marcos in the summertime. But we'll do our best to to make sure that that doesn't happen. We'll carry personal fire extinguishers or whatever just to make sure that he survives in San Marcos. Well, this is the first installment from Brandon, and uh, we're cooking up something to bring folks some uh, information that's uh, not off-provided for uh, this, t- t- this type of show. So looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, up next is Benchtop Halftime Report, Dave, uh, sponsored by Tackett Z, the must-have tools for the model maker. You can go to www.tackettz.com and see what Ed's got cooked up in his engineering excellence for uh, for your for your workbench. Yeah, he's got a couple of new products uh, looking, to, looking to come online or back online. Well, we've all got workbenches. We're going to start with you, Evan. What's on the bench and how's it going? I was working on a bunch of Stug 3s, of course, in my videos, but I had to wait for some aftermarket to make the final touches on those. So I decided to start a T34 as a almost like a John Bonani slammer build. That was the initial plan. Uh, but the Dragon T34s aren't really slammer builds. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm on week three of my slammer build. Now, this, this is the... Um, this is the Dragon uh, Stalingrad factory. I guess it's a cyber hobby boxing, but it's the Stalingrad 1941 version, which is the okay one. The Stalingrad yeah. 42 one is the nightmare. So it's got some of the Stalingrad iconic features, like it's got the steel wheels and some of the other, other stuff on there, but it doesn't have the the late, the, the super late gun mail and all that cool stuff. So that'll be for another day. Uh, I've also got my Jagdpanzer four diorama kind of, in the background, that's a, that's a fun project I'm working on with my YouTube buddy, Hamilgar Barkas. We're both building that kit, as well as an SDKFZ 250. And I've got a bunch of figures. I'm going to try to actually make a serious diorama All uh, right. with that one. That'll be pretty cool. But that's a little bit stalled right now as I was kind of relaxing on this T-34, though it's not much of a relaxing build at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are you going to do that one? <laughs> The other thing is um, I've uh, I've been acquiring aftermarket because as horrible as the war in Ukraine is, there has been plenty of interesting reference pictures of very beat up vehicles and I couldn't resist. So I'm going to do some kind of a Ukrainian something or rather e- either 
a Ukrainian vehicle or a destroyed Russian one, but uh, I'm leaning more towards the the latter now. So I've been acquiring some stowage to fit the Russian vehicle, which includes things like household items, like I got a toilet, uh, some TV computer kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, just inspired <laughs> by some reference pictures. Uh, we'll see how that goes, but that'll be a little bit of an interesting project. Hopefully that goes over well on YouTube. I know people sometimes get upset about, well, I mean, if I build a Michael Whitman tiger, nobody cares, but you build something a little bit more, more modern, then it can be sometimes a bit of a big deal, but it's all just supposed to be fun, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sure it will be tasteful. Yeah, that's the point, right? Yeah, exactly. Dave? Yeah? Assuming Evan's done. I'm assuming <laughs> Evan's done. I'm good. Oh, but I was going to ask Evan, uh, um, have you built any more tracks? Oh, so for my uh, my part two of the all the eBay or not eBay, but the 3D printed tracks, I'm almost there. I've got what have I got with me here? I've got the Rogues Cove eBay tracks, which are very kindly given to me by uh, Rick Cooper at the Nats. I've got the the Chino model ones, which are very gracefully given to me by our very own Dave Knights. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, gratefully given, or I palmed it off on you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've actually got two sets. I've got the pre-assembled ones that they make as well. I've got the Scale Colors 3D. I've got the new set of ET model. I've got the minor model printed workable tracks. They're actually printed, completely assembled somehow. Wow. Uh, and I've I've still got to get. I've got the Rifle model ones on order, and I've still got to get the Panzer Art ones, which I think were just officially released two days ago. I'm still missing two brands because, I mean, I just listed like 10 and I did nine right. in the last video and there's there's two more. There's Yan Model, which I only makes one set. I don't think they actually exist anymore. And the other one is FC Model Trend. And I don't think I'm actually going to bother because I've got some of their 3D printed stuff before and it was basically garbage. So I don't know if I'm going gotcha. to even bother with their tracks. This is not a democracy, so, you know, nobody there gets their, their say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's right. You 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 run your YouTube channel with an iron fist. <laughs> There's a lot of tracks, though. I'm going to have to spend a whole week just putting tracks together. Yeah. Well, and then there's probably been 12 more come out. Since <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and four new stud kits. Yeah. Yeah. It never ends. Okay. Well, well D- Dave, what's up on your bench, man? Well, my bench is actually. Uh, I've got the B-52 still sitting there, and I have no excuse for not finishing it. I hope to finish it very soon. However, I got I got into this Airfix Kate build, and it just spoke to me, and I have been concentrating on pretty much nothing but it. Uh, I've got it in paint. I've had to work through some marking issues because there's... There are disagreements about what the markings of the aircraft that I'm doing should actually be and what the paint scheme is. Uh, Steve Hustad sent me some documentation, and I appreciate that. He helped me work through these issues and get to the point where I've decided what markings I'm going to do it in. Uh, The basic paint is on, and uh, I'm hoping I'm on a a glide slope that's going to get me finished with this by Cincinnati, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. Well, I hope because there's like four Musaru builds have already started. I know. I know. But if I get this done by the end of October, I've got November, December, January, February, and most of March 
to finish the Arma kit. And the Arma kit is a sweet kit. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, but I harbor no illusions given the other modelers participating in this Musaru. So my goal on the Musaru is a finish. I hope. <laughs> yes. Hey, you finished. If you can finish, I can finish. So I don't know if that's which, an insult or not. Well, it was a shot. Um, <laughs> it was an oblique shot, but it was a shot. So, Mike, what's your bench look like? Uh, it looks like a KV-85 lower hull and suspension. Uh, I'm finally to the point where I hoped had hoped to have been several weeks ago. This thing's interesting. Is it's the first kit I've ever built that had the like the workable torsion bars in it. Yeah. Hmm. Evan, you ever done one of these? Well, I've all the Dragon Panzer threes have optionally workable torsion bars, but I just slice them off and don't even bother putting them in. Like I just, it's because if there was an interior or if I was doing a diorama and I wanted to make it fit very well, then it might be useful. But I'm not big on useless interior details that don't actually have any real point to the build. Well, on this thing, it's not so much that. I mean, there's it's it, it's useless interior detail because even even if you built the interior, you couldn't see that far down into it anyway. But mm-hmm. so this thing's sitting on live torsion bars, so you got to get the ground clearance set right somehow. Right, and you got to make sure it's set when the weight of the model, completed model is on the vehicle, not when you just have the hull assembled. Which is kind of the dilemma I'm in, because I don't know how familiar you guys are with the KV, but on the starboard side, the last road wheel position on the starboard side, when that road wheel, say it was deflected up to the the swing arm, hit the bump stop, Mm -hmm. that road wheel is actually inside the drive sprocket at that point. Right. So it's it's hard to determine the, the neutral position which I'm starting to think varied depending on how good the torsion bars were on, even on a new tank that's coming out of the factory as to how close that road wheel was to the drive sprocket on a new vehicle versus a, an older vehicle. Maybe it started to droop a little bit. Yeah. Or the ammunition load, fuel load, everything else in the vehicle. Oh, exactly. Yeah. All the combat weight coming into play. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find a spot where this thing is not up in the drive sprocket from the start. <laughs> Cause that just, I don't think that's quite right, but I, I've, I think I finally got it. I, I anchored that last torsion bar tonight before we started recording. And that's kind of going to kind of be the, that's ground zero for, for setting everything else. And now Mike, you're going to actually have this thing going off over a pair of, or a set of railroad tracks, right? So yeah. So gonna there's going to be a, there's going to be a couple of, of swing arms on either side that are going to be high. I'm going to try to avoid low ones because that's going to be a little bit hard to do. So mm-hmm. we'll see where it goes. I, it's just, I'm, I'm in new uncharted waters here. I've never, I've never built one like this and I've made all the, the way the the suspension goes together as orthodox as I can by re-engineering the, the axles and putting them on the swing arms and all that, that folks have been following for a few weeks now. Uh, but I can't fix this. Uh, this is going to have to be, it's going to have to be, I'm going to have to I'm have to put a stake in the ground and go from there. And, and I think I did that tonight. So uh, what else is going on? Um, How's that Paul? Uh, the Paul's on, I finally got the, the assembly jig put together. <laughs> the one you bought at the nationals, right? Yeah. So it's, it's on a pretty new base now. Uh, soon. Um, I'm, I'm going to get these torsion bars anchored 
And then I'm going to put this kit away for a little while and get the railroad tracks out and start putting those together. And at that point, I'm going to get the Paul catapult back out and start trying to cable it. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what what of the 42 suggestions for cable you finally end up landing on. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing how you tackle the railroad uh, base for your your KV because I've always wanted to do that kind of scene. It's it's quite iconic. There's lots of cool photos of it. Also, being somewhat interested in model railroading, it's a little bit of a side interest. And oh, it's yeah. just cool. It's a cool scene because there's lots of places in the Russian steppe where there's, you know, maybe the the best cover you have is a railway embankment because it's just flat open fields, right? That's right. So I, I kind of want to. I'm doing. Uh, it's white thirty two. The 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 uh, mm-hmm. one of the KV eighty fives that's captured at Melitopol in in Ukraine in spring or early winter forty three. I can't remember, but uh, I'm I'm doing it before it got. Had a change of ownership. Let's just say that. Make sure you get the Russian railway gauge right because it's, it's a little <laughs> different actually, than everyone else's, right? Mini art takes care of that for you. Yeah. We actually <laughs> had that discussion over the fact, well, are you going to do a, a German gauge or are you going to do the Russian gauge? Well, I've got the Russian gauge set for mini art, so I think I'm covered there. I'm assuming they got that right. I hope so. <laughs> Well, that's my bench stop, and uh, we'll have to keep folks posted on that, and uh, hopefully progress. Go go to the dojo, and hopefully Evan, Mike, and I will all post some pictures in progress and as things advance. Hey guys, it's Chris here talking about Inside the Armor Publications. Great news. Volume 2 of Models for Ukraine is out for pre-order now. The first book raised over £19,000 for the Disasters Emergency Committee Ukraine Appeal. And we hope this book will raise more than 22000 to add to that total. The book features a number of fantastic artists, including Alex Clark, Calvin Tan, Emilien Diablo, Fanch Lubin, Felipe Costa Ramirez, Harvey Lowe, Ian Baraclough, Jean-Bernard André, John Colasante, Jose Brito, Katerina Derbalova, Paolo Portoese, Rene van der Hart, Robert Blocker, Sam Dwyer, and many more. If you'd like to pre-order the book, I suggest you do it as soon as possible because it's already selling very fast. Just go to InsideTheArmor.com where you can pre-order your book and where you can also order any of our fantastic publications on paper or in ebook format. Guys, uh, kits keep getting announced and uh, there's new stuff coming out or new stuff being announced every day. Uh, do you have some faves and yawns? Let's start with Evan. Evan, do you have some faves and yawns that uh, that have been announced recently? I've got a number of faves. I actually don't think I have any yawns, but I think some of these might be see, overlap. See, you are <laughs> you you're Canadian. You are just infallibly polite, and you don't want to give anybody a yawn. But that's okay. So, what are I, some of your faves? I saw plenty of yawning over whatever Tamia was announcing at that show, but that was all aircraft stuff. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, a my fave is Mini Art announced another Stug Three, which is a color me shocked. Now, now, the thing is, this is a what's it a Stug Three G March Forty Three Alcat production, which is a kit already covered by Ryfield Model Dragon and Tacom. Well, they they kind of do the other factory, but this is a full interior version, though. It's also got the winter Ketten tracks and everything. And I mean, maybe it'd be yawn because it's like 
a lot of overlap with the other kits, but I uh, I actually don't have any of the mini art Stug 3Gs yet. I haven't really seen them in stores. There might be some, I mean, they're in Ukraine, right? So it's a little right. dicey at the moment. And I haven't actually seen much about these Stug kits, but I really want to get my hands on one to see it. And I think they'll be pretty good based on some of their other kits I've built. Though the full interior might not be for me because those can kind of sap my mojo sometimes. There's a lot of work on those. I'm more of an exterior only kind of guy. Now, is this the version that occurs in the construction in the factory before noon or afternoon when Horst <laughs> went and ate a bad bratwurst and therefore torqued the bolts in the wrong direction? Because we're getting down to that. They're going to build a specific, they're going to release a specific vehicle that happened on a specific day at a specific time. That's common. Oh, I, I know rem- it is. Remember, Dragon did make a Panzer 4J, and it's a specific hull number. It's like yeah. hull number 92200. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, do you, ha- do you have a fave? One of mine has got a foot on both sides of the aisle. Okay. Uh, there seems to have been a reemergence of Dragon in the last several months. I think here recently they've had a release, a re-release. None of this stuff's new. Um, of half dozen kits, maybe a couple of T thirty fours. One at one, one at Evans Building, I think, has just shown up again. And the and the other Cyber Hobby STZ Factory T thirty four. You know, it gives me hope because some of these are yawns for me because I've either I already have the kits, uh, or there are some German subjects I, I don't have any interest in so, some of the one-off self-propelled guns and that kind of thing. But uh, it gives me hope that uh, some of the other things in their catalog might, might show up again. I know there's a lot of stuff out there folks would like to see, because especially like half tracks and things like that, a lot of those aren't getting covered by these new manufacturers. That's true. Or when they do, it's a rebox of the dragon two fifty, right? Well, yeah, there's that, but but they add coffee stains in the instructions. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what do you think, Evan? You think Dragon's gonna keep pumping these out, or do, well, you, even, do you even care at this point? Honestly, uh, well, I mean, up in Canada, when these kit, when those new kits get here, they're they're twice as expensive as those kits were when they were brand new ten years ago, right? Oh yeah, and usually you can find them at hobby shows for what they actually are worth, right? The, the older boxing. So I, they're not new kits. There may be two kits put together and it's like, oh, a two in one, but it's, it's, it's 2010 dragon, but with more expensive price. And sometimes they even put the less photo wedge in them too. And it's a, bit, <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit sad, but I mean, if you're really looking for that kit now, you can actually get it. Well, that's interesting. I mean, because there's some of those like premium kits that, you got a lot of stuff. I like the King Tiger you built. Yep. With now, the I, preformed photo etch and the metal barrel and everything. I mean, that'd be a fun one to see again, but it's going to come out with like not all that stuff in it and it's still going to be the same price. Dave, what about you, man? I'm going to start just because just you all are total optimists. I'm going to start out with my yawn before I get to my faves. AML has announced a re-release of their Fiat G50 kit as a finished version with skis. And the reason this is a yawn is that SBS did this in resin 
and did it way, way better a number of years ago. The SBS kits are still available uh, price-wise. I will bet you while the SBS kits are probably a little more expensive, they're at least competitive. And if you're given a choice between building an SBS resin or an AML injection plastic kit, you definitely want to buy the SBS kit. So that is my yawn. Evan, you got anything else? Uh, well, last time you guys had the this, I'm not, I'm not sure if this kit was announced, but Tacom announced Apaches, right? Apaches and MQ48 Fire Scouts? Yes. Yep. Now, I'm excited by these, but I'm, I don't know if I'd build them. So I'm not sure if they're a favorite yawn. They're like a, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to see that at the next model show. Now, the Fire Scout, actually, I might build that because it's nice and small. It's fun. I think it's 35th scale, too, which is the yes. right scale. It, well, and, we're, we'll disagree about the right <laughs> scale. But, yes, it's 35th scale and relatively uh, right-sized in that scale. Yeah. You also get two in the box, it appears. Yes. Uh, now, I wish they would have given you one of the ones with the Hellfires or, like, the mini guns or whatever because they look pretty cool when they're all loaded up, right? Right. But – Maybe there'll be some. I, I, I'm actually. I I'm sure there will be some aftermarket very soon to load these things up and make them look pretty badass. But uh, I, I I'll say I would build one of these, but I'm not sure if I'll ever get around to it. But it's a cool subject for sure. Mike, how about you? Not sure which category this goes into, but uh, <laughs> you're very ambivalent today. I, I, well, I think this is just this is uh, modeling retail commentary at this point. It's not okay. so much faves or yawns anymore, <laughs> right? AK Interactive. Yeah. And this uh, endless quest to be all things to everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> this tube cutter. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> somebody wrote on the dojo, like, they just imagine somebody running down the hardware store and buying one of these and putting it in a different packaging and, and sending it off. And then, <laughs> yep. I, then I think it was Will Patterson equipped this that if if this actually cut the size tubing we actually use, I'll buy this today. <laughs> well, I have to look this up. I haven't heard about this. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's it looks like the typical tube cutter that uh, KNS Engineering sells one with their hobby yes. hobby tube stuff, and it's it's not very good in my opinion. Um, you can buy them from hardware stores that are like die cast, and they're a little bit better, but still, they just don't cut small stuff that great yeah that's Uh, the big problem is that the stuff we want to cut is so small that the usual tube cutters that you know uh, you find at a home depot or whatever are are, are meant to cut you know quarter inch or or half inch copper piping and they just they're they're not suited for the real tiny stuff this it says it says here It'll work on one eighth inch to one and one eighth inch, or for science based countries, that's three to twenty eight millimeters. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that that looks like it. I mean, it's it's pretty small, but yeah, I don't know. I'm going to tell you the same thing I told some smart ass intern, man. <laughs> <laughs> Go What's, ahead. What size is the ratchet drive you put your four millimeter sockets on? Because of you guys, <laughs> I mean, I went to everything I did in university in my whole aerospace <laughs> engineering degree. 
we did it in both Imperial and Metric yes. because we're right next to you guys and you ruined it for us. <laughs> so I had to have twice as many formulas, twice as many tables. In the context that I just mentioned, every nation on the world still uses the Imperial system. Dave, what else you got? Clearprop has told us that we're going to be getting an SU-25. Like Evan, in reference to uh, you know building something out of Ukraine, uh, we've seen a lot of neat Ukrainian SU-25s in use. And a company called Had Models has announced uh, releases of uh, decals for the different versions of some of the Ukrainian digital camouflage because they use the gray, uh, uh, you know, digital or block style um, multi multicolored camo, and uh, uh, combining these decals with that new clear prop kit when we actually see it, I can't wait because there are a couple of Ukrainian things I'm now going to have to build. I am I am obligated to build now. Evan, you got anything else? I have got one more. Uh, this is a figure set from the new company Dynamo Models out of France. They've, they've only been up for a couple of months now, this company, as far as I'm aware, but they've had some very cool figures. Uh, and they're what they're specializing right now in is a bunch of 1940-era French soldiers, which I think is really cool because that's um, that's definitely, uh, at least historically, has been an underrepresented subject. We've had some nice French tanks in recent years, but these figures look really good. They're kind of unique. They're guys on the march. There's a set here with the uh, Hotchkiss machine gun. The other guys have a Chateau machine gun. And they've caught my eye, and I'm... I've actually, I want to see if I can get some of these and just make a little diagram with some French guys, machine gun teams walking because they're, uh, it's an under, like I said, an underrepresented subject and they look pretty good. And I've seen some YouTube videos on these and they seem to be pretty good quality figures. So I'll have to check this a, out. That's a fave for me. I'm excited about these French guys. Anything else, Dave? Well, yeah. And this is, uh, I don't know if it's a fave or a yawn or a, I'll believe it when I see it. A new company called Titan Model Kits has announced a 72nd scale C5A. (laughs) Well, maybe it's C5. It could be an A, a B, or an M, as a matter of fact, because externally they're all pretty much the same. I'll believe it when I see it, because a 72nd scale C5 kit would be huge. And, you know, I'm hoping they do it. I want to see them do it. Kinetic says that we're getting our C-17 to 2023. So, you know, anything's possible, but I'll believe it when I see it. Well, all right. Well, I think that wraps up phase and yawns. It's interesting stuff. I got to check out those French figures, though. So send me the link, man. All right. Getting the right size base for your model diorama or vignette can be difficult and time-consuming. Bases by Bill has the solution with their all-new custom size display bases. Offering sizes of 4 to 30 inches and any size in between, you choose the dimensions you want and you get the size you need every time. They can also be laser engraved with a unit emblem or custom text of your choice. In addition, shipping is always included within the lower 48 states. Built by modelers for modelers, Bases by Bill has bases and display cases for any type of model and for any size. Visit 
visit their website at basesbybuild.com to see their new products or to get your own custom-built base or display case quote. Use the code MOJO at checkout to apply a 10% listener discount to your order. That code again is MOJO for 10% off. Bases by Bill for all your model display needs. Well, for our special segment tonight, we're just going to pick into Evan here a little bit. Pick in or pick on? Well, (laughs) maybe a little bit of both. There you go. You know, Evan, we've all enjoyed your your YouTube channel over over several years now. My gosh, how long has it been? Oh, at least eight years, I think. Yeah. 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 We, yeah, we talked about that on one of your other appearances, but you know, what just, we'll just start. The general question is, is how's it been being a, at this point, you know, seven, eight years in being a YouTube modeler? I mean, what's, what's that been like for you? I'll say I haven't regretted it. And it's probably made me, at least I, I think, I mean, I can't compare because. The alternative did not happen, but the alternative is if I hadn't made my YouTube channel, would I be as good a modeler as I am? And I don't think I would be. I've learned a lot through the YouTube and also connecting well with other YouTube channels and gotten excellent feedback and everything. I think it's definitely helped me to become a, uh, a skilled modeler. Evan, I've got well, I got tons of questions for you. We could go All on right. probably way, way longer than... Uh, than we should, but question question one from me is I've I've watched I would say the vast majority of the videos you've you've done, even the Do embarrassing you, early ones, even the <laughs> even the earlier ones. Hey, listen, I'm not sure I could go back and listen to our first podcast without cringing. I don't know, <laughs> but in any event, do you? Do you use a script at all, or do you use an outline when you're now you you do the video and then you go and record the audio later, right? Yeah, that's what I've been doing for the past uh, at least four years now. I used to do it kind of all live, but then the video would be too long because you have to show something and then talk about it. When if gotcha. you do it voiceover, you do both at the same time. But I do not do a script; it is completely off the cuff. Because really, now it, it would probably be a little more clear and concise if I did make a script, but it already takes enough of my time to edit the video that writing a script would take even more time. So I just I just edit the video and then I kind of watch it and I think, okay, that's what that's everything that happened, and then I just press record and talk about it. Recording the audio is the last thing you do after you've actually completely assembled the video. Yeah. Um, now I'll talk quick, a little bit about how I kind of do that here. So usually if I'm doing a quite intensive project, like let's say I'm fully weathering a vehicle, I might have up to four hours of footage total, uh, maybe more like two hours. Now I kind of know what to film and a lot of it gets cut out, but and also gotcha. sped up and everything. So, you know, I, I won't film the entire thing and then edit it. I'll film the chipping process and then. I'll edit that section down because it's fresh in my mind and I know kind of what happened. I don't usually do the voiceover. I do that all in one go, but I'll, I'll kind of do it in segments. So I'll, I'll do, I'll paint, I'll paint the chipping effects. Then I'll edit that section. Then I'll do the wash and I'll edit that section while varnish is drying or something. So that helps to keep it. Cause if I had to sit down and edit the whole thing, it would take like a whole day and that's, that would suck. So I do it in little sections. Gotcha. You, you mentioned you really, your, your videos are, 
or, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. So how much raw video do you have for 20 or 30 minutes of ultimate, ultimate what makes it on YouTube? I'd say now it's about two hours. Um, but with my when I first switched to this method of doing the footage and then the voiceover, I kind of just filmed almost like uh, too much. You know, because if, if I'm, let's say I'm chipping a, a tank, I'll show nowadays, I'll just show chipping around the turret hatches and then maybe a few different spots. I won't show the entire thing. I won't show chipping every single edge because then I, I, I only want to see four minutes of chipping before I move on to the next weathering step anyway. So gotcha. Uh, but what I used to, I used to film chipping every single edge and then I would decide which, which of those clips I would keep in. So I would have this huge amount of footage clocking up my computer and then I, you know, edit it all down the end. But now I've kind of learned, you know, I only need to take five clips of chipping and then I'll cut out the, the dead time and everything and maybe get rid of one of those. So, but yeah, I'd say two hours, like it's probably four times as much footage, at least when it, but between the, rough cut or whatever the whole raw video and then down to sped up and and cleaned up and all the dead time cut out i don't i don't know if you guys have listened to it but uh chris mettings was on the build sideways podcast and i i can't remember which episode it was but they were discussing well in their discussion there they were talking about you know there's there's really a kind of a dearth of facebook pages and you know ours included ours is within a a vast sea of content out there right um Videos the same way. The podcasts are getting there. I mean, there was a new one announced, new one launched uh, out of Australia just yesterday. So another another modeling podcast for us all to listen to. Uh, anyway, but you know, th- there was some back and forth about the the overall quality of some of this stuff and and what the motivations were by the folks putting this out. What what got you into it from the start? I mean, did did I, I can't imagine someone would actually seek notoriety doing this, but uh, you're, you're doing it because you're enjoying it or, or whatever. But uh, won't you enlighten us a little bit about what, what got you going and, and uh, how that's gone for you. So I first started making the videos because I enjoyed watching other people's videos and I wanted to give back to the community. Now, back when I started, I was I think 16 years old, um, which is only like eight years ago, but, We'll pretend pretend that was a long time ago. (laughs) Back then, there weren't really any big YouTube modeling channels. Everybody had maybe a couple thousand subscribers at most. And there were some big ones, but it was like the AK Interactive YouTube channel or the the Wilder YouTube channel, right? Like they they were kind of more professional. Everyone else was just kind of, it's more like a vlog style where it's like, oh, I'm going to update on my projects. Maybe I'm doing a buddy build with somebody. Here's my progress on this kit. Here's something that was an issue with it. And it was almost like you would make video responses. If somebody had a kit and they were having an issue, you wouldn't type the comments. You would make your own YouTube video and then you'd reply kind of in video format showing them how to fix that area of the kit or something. And it, it, it was more like that. And that's kind of what I did. I, I would just, my thing, I loved weathering. So I made weathering tutorials that kind of caught on and my channel kind of gained a lot of viewers and subscribers. I mean, it took me a, a few years to get to a, you know, a, a, a couple thousand subscribers and it kind of went from there. But at the beginning, it was a lot more of a community, a lot smaller channels. And we were all just kind of hanging out 
helping each other with our fun projects, tips and tricks kind of stuff. Well, that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, I encourage folks to go out and listen to, to the, the Build Sideways podcast uh, with Chris Mettings as the guest because it was a really interesting conversation. You know, you got people chasing clicks and that kind of thing. And, and it just seems like you can you can feel that vibe on some of these channels. And I just I've always enjoyed yours. And we have you on because we like having you on. And it sounds like you kind of got in at a, at a sweet spot. Yeah, kind of at this. Yeah, kind of at the point where it was going from the community kind of to I don't want, I don't want to say commercial, but it kind of ended up being more of a making a more generic tutorial for everybody to learn rather than more specific replying to people's videos. That raised a, a, a question that kind of ties into one of my questions. You talked about when you were first getting into it, you were doing videos that were replies or explainers or whatever to somebody else's video. Yeah, that was the style back then. But now you've got 66,000 whatever uh, subscribers. Yes. So <clears throat> I don't think, I don't, obviously, with that many subscribers, that changes the way you interact with your viewer base. What, how do you interact now when, with your viewer base when you post a, a video and then you start getting all these comments rolling in. Um, what's your, what's your interaction like now, as opposed to when you first started? Uh, well, I mean, when you first started, yeah, it was people would make their own videos you still had comments. There were people who didn't ever make videos, but they were frequent commenters and you always knew them. And yeah. a lot of those people still are frequent commenters in my videos today. Um, but I mean, Nowadays, it's just there's a lot more comments, but I still like to read through them and just say thank you if it's something positive. If there's um, if there's questions, answer them. YouTube has actually gotten very convenient now, and when you go to your video in the YouTube Studio whatever app, you can actually filter, and YouTube will figure out if the que- if the comment is just somebody saying "great video, thanks," or if it's actually them asking a question. YouTube knows, and you can filter. And it will just give you all the questions. And then that way you can go through and give detailed answers to those and make sure you don't leave out anybody's questions. Really? I did. Yes. I was completely unaware of that. That's probably within the last year. You have to, before that, you have to just go through manually. And I mean, people kind of vote up the good comments too. So they kind of stick to the top of the comments section. But I do still read through the comments. Actually, on the YouTube Studio app on my phone, every time anybody comments on my YouTube video, I get like a little notification. Mm-hmm. Now it just kind of is like another comment on my video, but you can actually access it right away. Don't you kind of drown from that? I mean, that seems well, like it'd be like drinking from a fire hose. Yes and no. Like if I just if I put up a video on Saturday morning or whatever, and then I get you know dozens of comments. I, I mean, I, it's not like it's my phone's buzzing or anything, but the app shows that you've got a new notification or whatever. So I kind of wait a little bit and then I'll go in and answer a bunch in bulk. But the good thing about this is if you comment on a video from eight years ago, I also get a notification of someone comments on my video. So I, I will get people commenting on videos that are years old and they say, oh, no, I don't know if you're going to see this, but I've got a question and I answer within an hour and they're surprised. <laughs> but it, it's just YouTube... Tells you there's a new comment and you can go check it out. 
you, you no. don't have to go you don't have to go watch the video again <laughs> sometimes i have to go and remember <laughs> what happened in the video <laughs> what percentage would you say of people subscribing go back and cut through your your either entire library or most of your library of old videos cuz i know with the podcast we have a fair percentage that when they discover our podcast, what they do is they go back, in addition to listening to current stuff, they go back and start cutting through all of the all of the previous stuff. Can you yeah. see that in your videos, in your YouTube channel? Uh, occasionally. I mean, there's no there's no way that YouTube tells you that. You will have to see them start commenting. And sometimes I get a comment from a name. And then I'll see that name go through a bunch of other tutorials over the next couple of days. Gotcha. The older videos, and, I, and then I, you know, answer their questions or whatever. But there's not really a YouTube analytics for viewers, like specifically. And I kind of hope they don't, because some of my earlier videos are kind of, I mean, they're, I mean, they're still useful videos, right? But I don't <laughs> like to go back and watch them because it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. But because you're a little yes. kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had a comment a few months ago, someone saying, oh, I, I just found your uh, your channel and I went back and watched your first videos and everything. And I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> just watch the playlists where I filtered out only the tutorials, please. <laughs> Have you been surprised by all of it? I, I know as as podcasters, I know Dave and I have. I mean, this thing. Oh, yeah. Just We didn't, you know, we didn't know what we were getting into. Yeah, neither did I, right? But well, we we sort of did, but we really didn't, and it's just been amazing. Same for me. I uh, I've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of work. I mean, I figure if I didn't make videos, I probably would. Well, maybe I'd make twice as many kits in a year, but I'd still be slow and lazy and do other stuff. But like, it slows me down making the videos and everything. But it also, I think, helps me learn because I've if I ever want to remember how I did something on a, on a kid in the past, I can go watch my own video and remember exactly the products I used, how I applied <laughs> them. I don't, uh, some people write down lists and stuff, but I've actually got, I've got it on my TV. <laughs> so it's almost like a, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Mike and I've kind of been talking about uh, uh, some technical stuff and I've, what kind of cameras do you use to film yourself? Cameras? I've got one camera. Okay, I'm sorry. Camera or cameras. And I assume that's changed over eight years. Nope. It's the same camera the whole time. This is a really? Sony Sony Handycam HDR CX160. Uh, it's This is actually, this was my parents' camera. It's 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 like a like a high quality camcorder, like gotcha. a you know handheld video camera, right? Gotcha. And I guess at the time it was pretty good because it's held up. It, it doesn't do 4K, but I don't I don't think I want to do 4K. That's that gets to be pretty big file sizes and stuff. So this is just 1080p, 30 fps. Uh, the the mount on the tripod where like the the hole is where you screw in the little peg is like right. I had to super glue it back in and. <laughs> And when I moved out, I, t- I took the camera with me. My parents, <laughs> I don't think they cared. I used it. Like, Evan, where's that camera, man? We loaned you that. Where'd it go? It's a great little camera. People ask me. and then, uh, The only thing is I uh, you can't 
you can't use a mic on it. Okay. So I can't, if, I, if I'm doing a video live, uh, uh, this is a bit of a, here's a technical problem I've been encountering. So I can't plug a mic into it and record the proper audio. I have to use the built-in mic and the built-in mic isn't great. And there's sometimes a little high pitch whining noise. If I've also got it plugged in to charge at the same time. So actually what I do now is I record the video, the audio on my laptop in a separate app and I put them together at the end, uh, which is a little bit extra work, but you just got to line up the little spikes on the audio and track and, and you're good to go. No, um, you you inhaled. I thought you were about to ask a question, <laughs> but if not, I will. Well, you ask one more, and I'll get mine ready. Okay, um, Evan, you you mentioned early in our episodes that you occasionally build a Gundam. Uh, yes. How? Okay. How did you get into building them? Uh, what do you think of them? Obviously you've interacted with other Gundam builders. You've never done a Gundam video, I don't think. Correct. So so talk about the world of Gundams and your interaction with it. I had never built a Gundam until five years ago when this Gundam club started and they put little signs up in their hobby shop. And I thought, why not give that a shot? So I, uh, with my, at the time, girlfriend, I was like, well... Because she's kind of into anime and stuff. Right. Uh, me, me, not so much. I've never watched Gundam anime. She did when she was a kid. She's now my fiance, by the way. But th- at the time, I was like, hey, we can do something together. We, I can share my hobby with my significant other. We can build kits together. And actually, that kind of worked out because she still builds Gundams with me at the at the club with everybody else. So, yeah, it was kind of just uh, curiosity because I was like, hey, why not give Gundams a shot? And it was... I'd always kind of looked at them at model shows at the time. They weren't as common in model shows, but they have a similar aesthetic to tanks where they're kind of chunky. And I mean, some are very elegant and sleek and some are kind of like the grunt suits, the villain grunt suits. I seem to build a lot because they're kind of chunky and boxy kind of almost getting into like Mac style sometimes the machine sure. rigger, but they just have a nice aesthetic to them where it's kind of like halfway between tank and maybe even like a construction equipment where you could get in there with some hydraulic fluid and stuff and have fun weathering. Now I've actually really never done a deep dive on weathering one of these things, but yeah, I got into it on a whim and I've, but I've never done a video on it because I've always kept it as a, as a background thing, because I'll be honest when you do a video on a kit, it slows down the process a lot. Because mm-hmm. you have to kind of think, yeah, I want to film filling the seam, adding a weld here. So maybe I'll leave that for tonight and I'll do something else right now. And you kind of start building out of order and you kind of want to leave things. And sometimes it can even almost be a little demotivating. Sure. Because um, it because it takes more time. But I don't really mind it. It's still pretty fun. But the Gundams, the kits themselves, these Bandai kits are flawless. They go together without glue. They've got the multi-part articulated things that are somehow molded on the sprue as one. So you cut the, the pegs out and then it just like it, it articulates as one piece. God, how the injection will that I just still don't understand. Um, so they're, they're just so much fun that I, I almost segregate them from my videos. Cause I don't want to make that kind of a, a video thing as well. They're, they're a purely fun social thing for me at these Gundam meets. Have you seen, and this is a question that, 
I have because of my position with IPMS USA and recruitment and a lot of people building Gundams or younger people. Have you seen any of these younger folks who, who build in Gundam ever become curious and want to build other genres? Oh, I'm not sure. Now, well, I'm not sure if it's one way or the other, but there are some guys who are who I've seen at the Gundam show, and then they've actually also gone, not the Gundam show, at the Gundam meets, and then they also show up at the armor meets as well, and they seem to be kind of like me, where they like tanks. Maybe even aircraft, too, I don't know. But I'm not sure if, if one introduced them to the other, but there's definitely some overlap. Um, and the, definitely the the crowd that builds Gundams is half the age or less than the guys at the armor club. <laughs> gotcha. That's why I asked. Yeah, a lot of them, they seem to be, I mean, there's always like, people are always like, oh, our hobby's almost different because airplanes are different than tanks and everything. But they, there's there's a lot less of that now. There's like, people understand that they're all, we're all doing the same hobby in the end, even though we've got different interests and they understand the overlap. And they'll come to me where for weathering tips sometimes. And yeah, I still someday have to do a video on weathering a Gundam. I will do that, I promise. But I bet you got the kid <laughs> lined out for it. There you go. It'll be fun. Well, given the success of the of the channel, are you picking subjects based on on what you want to do for video? Or are you are you still being true to yourself and and building what you like? It, that's what it seems like to me because we kind of yeah. like this. We like the same stuff, and <laughs> it seems like that's what you're building. If I want all the clicks, I just start building Michael Whitman Tiger tanks every week. <laughs> See, there but you go, folks. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, because if I start if I start doing that, then it'll not be a hobby. It'll be a job now. And I'll be doing it to become popular on YouTube and to make some small amount of, of money. Um, when right now, it's it's my hobby. It's fun. And it makes a little bit of revenue for me on the side kind of thing. Not uh, enough to buy another kit every month kind of thing. I'm not making the big bucks here, but... Uh, yeah, because I don't want to make it my job because then it I'm worried it won't be fun anymore, right? Now, some people on YouTube, there's not only Martin, but there's tons of other guys who do Warhammer and stuff. They've gone full time and they seem to be doing quite well. Some of them have you know, lots and lots of subscribers and big followings. And I don't want to do that because that just doesn't appeal to me. I'll, I'll be happy as a mid-level YouTube channel. Uh, with my with my following and people enjoy watching me doing what I like. Now, well, I I actually have a lot of people ask me to do a Warhammer subject, and I actually do have a Warhammer thing that I will do a video on soonish. Um, but it's it's a Warhammer thing that is also interesting to me. So that's kind of an overlap there. Where, but based on people based on what people have asked, I will do this subject. But I also find it to be an interesting subject gotcha. to begin with. Is there anything you want to do with the channel you haven't done yet? Hmm. 3D. More more <laughs> videos. Yes. That's 3D the, printing is a good point. I have a 3D printer and I actually just got a wash and cure station from one of my uh, local club buddies who didn't need any more. So he gave it to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm all set up to go and I've, I'm familiar with CAD software through my university degree. So I have all the tools, but I just haven't had that last push in a situation where I need something 3D printed. 
so far everything that I've needed, I can just buy the aftermarket or I can just fix that with some sheet styrene. But there'll be a point where I need something 3D printed and then I will, I guess I'll bite the bullet then and do some printing. But actually that might even help me on my model railroad as well because there's lots of good model railroad 3D printing stuff for free online details and stuff for you know like garbage cans and whatever. Uh, that'll be probably the next step. I don't know if people are interested in that because I'm, I'm still not sure how widespread the household printers are with the community. Seems like it's growing, but it's not like one in 10 people have it. It seems to be still less than that. So if I start doing 3D printing stuff, I don't know if it's going to be that helpful to a lot of people. But that's that's been on my radar for at least a year now, actually, probably uh, two years. I've been kind of thinking about that off and on. We joke, but it's 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 true. We we have a we have a lot of similarities in our journey and, and our our favorite subject matter. I mean, that's that's just the truth. Um, what I find myself doing is is picking projects that will let me do something new that I've not done before. Be either three D printing or vacuuming or photo etching or whatever. Um, I'm I'm kind of like that, but it's more it's more this project will let me do a specific weathering finish kind of thing. I'm still kind of trying to, I mean, people say I'm really good at weathering and painting camouflage and stuff, but I still feel I have a long way to go to be consistent in weathering and painting. So I'm still trying to keep my focus on those two areas. So I do select projects to let me develop more experience in different finishes. And I'm trying to do some modern stuff recently because that that's pretty cool as well. Detailing still scares me. I'm not good at scratch building and, Printing is well the next step, but it's still a little intimidating, right? Well, maybe. I mean, <laughs> that's that's a, that is kind of a casual or or fun debate in the hobby right now. Is is yeah. scratch building versus catting it up and three D printing it? You know, is that the same thing or is it not? I've got my opinions, and maybe we don't talk about that too much <laughs> right now. But I wouldn't say uh, it's the same thing, but it's a very similar thing. You just have to have different skills, right? Uh, yeah, let's leave it at that. that. Let's leave it at that. Um, Dave, before I kind of give a wrap up question, you got anything else? Nope. I think we've covered, uh, at least as much as we can, uh, right now, obviously we're going to have to have Evan back again. Well, Evan, be it on your YouTube channel or some selfish, we'll say selfish project you want to build for your, for, for your own enjoyment. What is your kind of magnum opus build that that you want to do and it's it it doesn't have to be something destined for panzermeister 36 it could be evan really geeking out on this particular subject and 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 pulling out all the stops and and just going for it do you, do you have a project like that in mind yep and i've been working on it for the past couple of years and that is to build <laughs> to build a kit of every major version of the stroke three <laughs> and I've got an Excel spreadsheet on which I've identified all the major production versions, which is like I was A, B, C, D, you know, but then, then but then when you get to G, you get to like, you know, an April 43 Alcat versus an April 43 Miag factory. So there's, uh, I think there's like about 40 major versions that have, you know, major significant changes in how the vehicle was built. Um, and I probably made five that well maybe closer to 10 but the thing is as i finish them and i start making more i look back at those ones and i think i could redo that 
So I'm not really making much progress. But my 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 dream is to one day go to a show where you know you can do like that entry. Uh, what's it called? It's like the collection. Collection. Yeah, and I'm just gonna have like all the Stugs. <laughs> I mean, I can go with like a five once I'm halfway done the project kind of thing, you know. But a collection I, is a minimum of five. Yeah, kind of thing like that. That'll. This is like my long term project. I eventually want to cover all these major vehicles because I find. I mean, everybody's got their thing. Maybe they like Spitfires, whatever. My thing is, I like the Shug Three, and it's it served in through its various versions through the entire war. So you got the whole experience, all the different fronts, and there's it also shows all the development and the then the simplification, the whole German production mythology, and all the you know all the upgrades and downgrades that were done through the war, kind of thing. So it's it's interesting to me. Well, that begs to ask, if I called out a version, now, G excluded, but if I called out a G, it would be a, a, a date, I guess. Yes. Um, is there a particular vehicle that comes to mind that, that makes you want to build that particular one? Like, if, if I said Alf's E, is there a photo that comes to mind that you, you've looked at that says, yeah, that's, that's the one I want to do? Some of them, yes. Some of them, no. And the thing is, some of them I haven't built because I haven't found that picture yet. As we discussed at the beginning, I usually build after I find an inspirational picture. So I will, I'll kind of hold off. I, I've got that on my express uh, on my Excel spreadsheet, and I've got the list of all the aftermarket accessories on there that I need to make that version. And then once I find a cool picture that fits that, you know, maybe it's also got some cool stowage or markings. Um, then I will build that specific version and check it off my list. Mainly, if you if you if you list a house fee, what goes into my head instead of the picture is the dragon kit and the then the aftermarket required to build it, <laughs> which I've got kind of all memorized. Embarrassingly, <laughs> I can remember I can remember the details of these things, and I can't remember other stuff that's actually important in life. Yeah, well, that 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 just <laughs> I will tell you every time you refer to a dragon kit by its model box number yeah that there there's a little part of me inside that just dies because i i literally can't remember anything <laughs> like that with that level of precision <laughs> well all right uh well i'm i'm looking forward to all your stug videos yes in the future and i'm i'm going to get that right field late g i'm just going to have to do it it is it is very nice. Like I said in the video, it's it's ninety five percent of the way there. And I've got Dragon's last boxing of the house E. That one isn't as great. <laughs> no, but it's there's a lot of there's a lot in that box. Yeah. I wish we had somebody like Ryfield do proper kits of the short gun stokes as well. The the long guns have been getting a lot of love recently, and the short guns are just Dragon and Bronco and the Tamiya kit, right? Yeah. Or we just we just get all the dragon kits and do the best we can. <laughs> <laughs> and then after we're done, then Ryfield will release the kit. Yes. That is the way it works. As soon as you <laughs> as soon as you're actually it's as soon as you're about seventy-five to eighty percent done with this labor of love, <laughs> scratch build, aftermarket, alteration, carve, etc., is when the Tamiya of your particular world 
announces a brand new kit of that subject, probably in the same markings. <laughs> All right. So I think we're toward the end, Mike. Uh, at which point I want to find out what vodka root beer, or root beer vodka is like. So what did you think, Evan? So, uh, as I said at the beginning, I uh, the only root beer I ever really enjoy is A&W root beer. The other ones are not quite for me. Yeah. Um, this one I quite enjoy. Now, uh, it has less of a caramel note, I think. I'm not sure on the tasting notes quite, but there's definitely a strong caramel note on some root beers, right? This one has less of that and more of a vanilla cream note. Yes, that's, that's what A&W really features, is that vanilla cream. Yeah, so this one's kind of like that but it's, it doesn't taste exactly like AW. The thing is though, you can't taste the vodka. Now, I, I guess some people like to drink just to get drunk, I don't know. <laughs> but when I drink an alcoholic beverage, I at least enjoy the alcohol being part of the taste. So, right. I don't think I'll get this again because I can just get a can of AW root beer and it tastes <laughs> and the not, same and not get drunk. <laughs> not get- <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if that's if that's your thing, this was a a good drink. I enjoyed it. Good. Now, Mike, uh, I, well, I pretty much know what you're going to say, but go ahead and say it anyway. Uh, if you don't mind spending a little bit of money, uh, the Old Forester 1920 out of their Whiskey Row series yes. is, is really, really good. Uh, it's 115 proof. Yes. At, at first, it might be a little hot. Once you get over that, it's really flavor forward. It's a really good bourbon. I really like it a lot. And I just got to just gotta take it easy. Well, Is that the stuff you gave me at Nats? No, it's not. No, we, we, what did, we gave I him. I still think that was just Mr. Color Leveling Thinner. <laughs> <laughs> I think we gave him, bul- didn't we give him Bullet or something? No, we gave him the Woodford the Double, double Oak. Well, yeah. Woodford Double Oak. That's right. Yeah, Jesus. Um, it's yeah, gonna be a gasoline. <laughs> no, 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 we did not. But I will tell you, Mike, that that uh, um, that old Forester nineteen twenty. You're right. It's one hundred and fifteen proof. I mean, that is a strong, even for a bourbon that's very much a, a strong bourbon. But really, you don't notice it. You notice all of the other notes and flavors more than actually you notice the heat at least in my opinion yeah that's good i like it a lot i do too it's like 60 bucks so i don't buy it very often (laughs) same here uh well the sierra nevada sunny little thing citrus wheat ale five percent alcohol by volume a nice beer uh i'll tell you this would be a really good listening to on the bench while you're doing yard work beer because you can drink several of them in the heat of the day and it's not really going to hit you hard where a higher ABV beer might actually um, a be less refreshing, but also uh, hit you a little harder. So I got to say, I, I, I liked it a lot. So I can, I can recommend that one for you. All right. Well, that's the fluid wrap-up. So finally, we're at shout-outs. And uh, I guess since Evan's our guest, we'll let Evan go first. Evan, do you have a shout-out to anybody, anything, any 
any anything? I think I will give a shout out to my longtime YouTube friend, Mr. Hamilgar Barkas. He's the guy I'm currently building my Jagdpanzer IV buddy build with. Yep. Um, and he's actually one of these, as we talked about, these old YouTube channels that were making the community videos that inspired me to start my channel all those years ago. He's also a great friend that I hang out with on Skype on weekends. So his channel is Hamilcar Barkas with K's where there might be C's otherwise. His videos are in his videos are in German, but he has English subtitles. And uh he's always got a great positive outlook on the hobby. He enjoys what he does, and he also likes to do unconventional subjects. So like, you know, like maybe a Bulgarian panzer something or kind of like weird not common access or allies subjects that are always interesting. So Mike, a uh, shout out. Well, first up is all the supporters of plastic model mojo. And, uh, we got a few new ones, uh, over the last couple of weeks, Mr. Julian Watts from Patreon, Jared Nuss from Patreon and, uh, John Paisano's back on PayPal. Uh, if you'd like to join the ranks of these guys helping us out with the show, um, there's a couple of ways to do that. You can do so with a recurring contribution through Patreon, www.patreon.com. Searching on there for Plastic Model Mojo, you can uh, sign up there for a recurring contribution of your choice from a dollar on up, and we really appreciate it. In addition to Patreon, you can also contribute through PayPal, and Mr. Paisano contributed through PayPal, and to be like Mr. John, you can do so by going to www.plasticmodelmojo.com. There's a heart icon in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. You can, you can click that icon, take it to PayPal. You can make a one-time contribution to the show or manage your own recurring contribution there if you want to go back there every month, every week, whatever you want to do, and uh, help support the show. And it's all gone a long way. We're on a new platform now because of you folks. Yes. Uh, you, you made that transition very easy, and uh, we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I'd like to thank, in addition to thanking, like Mike, all of the PayPal and Patreon contributors, because seriously, you do make it possible for Mike and I to do what, we, what we're what we doing here. Um, my shout out is to the future Mrs. Evan McCollum and <laughs> to Evan, because, uh, you know, they, they recently made it official, got engaged, and uh, uh, I can highly recommend the life journey that uh, Evan and, and his future bride are embarking on and uh, can't do anything but wish them the best. So that's my shout out is to the future Mrs. Evan McCallum and Evan as well. Thank you very much. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome. <laughs> that's the extent of my embarrassing you. <laughs> Well, Dave, I got one more. Okay. Uh, I'm going to shout out Mr. Scott Gentry over at the Plastic Posse podcast. Uh-oh. <laughs> Their sponsor, Tankcraft, has a set of tracks for KV-1S, SU-152, and KV-85. Because they're his sponsor, he knows the guy. And I got a set of tracks in the mail this week. <laughs> and Hey, nice. Works out well. So I want to thank Scott for that and the folks at Tankcraft for that. And uh, I have a little bit of obligation to uh, tell them what I think. And uh, if they go together as good as they look, it's not going to be a problem at all. And I tell you, who else was it? It was a, a Rick Lawler on his propaganda channel. Yep. Reviewed this same set. So I know, I know they're going to be good. And 
I can't wait to get into them because I, I've got to get them on the suspension of my S my KV 85 soon because I can't finish the tank till I get the suspension set. And I needed these tracks to do that. So Scott, thank you. Tank craft. Thank you. Appreciate it. They look great. We'll see where it goes. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, y'all, Scott's a good guy as much as I might tease him when we see him in person. Uh, you know, all, Generally, all the podcasters we interact with are are really good people, and uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm happy to see you have those, so that in hope we will eventually see that KV85 done. <laughs> well, I hope so, Dave. In the spirit of getting into things and getting projects concluded, we are getting near the end of this episode. You know what they say, Mike. So many kiss, Dave. So little time, Mike. See you soon. Evan, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much.